Well, guys, last week we started a, um, a sermon in John chapter 9. I covered the first six verses or so with you last week, and I want to come back this week, and I want to build upon that. I want to finish out chapter 9. Uh, the, the, whole, the whole story is, 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 is captured here in the, in the whole chapter uh, 9 of John, and, uh, and we just grabbed a small part of it last week, and we talked about what God does with our pain and what God does through suffering. And this week I want to come back and look at the rest of the story and, and kind of capture the bigger picture of what Jesus was trying to say. I'm going to be honest with you, there's a lot of different directions that this message could go. I've, I've probably had four or five different uh, directions that I, I thought about going, but I, I really think that I, I just want to stick with the main theme of what Jesus is covering here in this, in this chapter. And what we need to do today, if it's at all possible, is to allow the Holy Spirit to help us to feel this collision that's going to take place between the revealed truth of Jesus and these, this arrogant pride and denial of the Pharisees. Uh, this story is about Jesus healing a blind man, but it's about more than physical sight. It's about spiritual blindness that plagues all of us. It's a spiritual blindness that we are born into where we cannot see the truth of God's word. We cannot understand the impact of God's word apart from the Holy Spirit helping us to be able to see that. And so what we need even in this is for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see the truth so that it guards us and protects us from becoming like the Pharisees. And so what we need to do today is to kind of feel this collision that's going to take place between the truth that Jesus preaches and the tradition that the Pharisees clung to. Um, it's, it's a collision also between those who are eager to know the truth and those who thought they already knew it all. Um, when we look at this passage, we, we looked last week at the first six verses where Jesus is walking down the road. He meets this blind man that was blind from birth. And the disciples ask a question. They ask the question, Jesus, who was responsible for his blindness? Was it that, that he sinned or that his parents sinned? Which one is it that's responsible for this man's blindness? And Jesus answers that by saying, neither. It was neither his parents nor him, but this blindness was, was, was allowed into his life so that he might glorify God. He might bring attention to God. Now, why would the, why would the disciples even ask the question, who sinned? Why would they even think that somebody sinned? Either this man sinned or his parents sinned, and that's why he's blind. Why would they think that? And if we really stop and consider that, the reason that they thought that is that's what they had been taught. So then we have to ask the question, well, who taught them that? And it would be the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. This is the way it works. So when Jesus says, you think it's either him or his parents, and I tell you it's neither one, what Jesus is saying is the Pharisees who taught you that are wrong. And it was almost as if he stuck his finger in a hornet's nest at that moment. The antennas of the Pharisees go up, and they are looking for a reason to defend themselves and to defeat Jesus. And that's where the rest of this story is going to go. So this man is, is healed by Jesus. He went, Jesus put mud on his eyes, he went and washed, and he says he came back home seeing. And verse 9 picks up the story of this collision that's going to happen because Jesus contradicted the teaching of the Pharisee. Jesus contradicted what these guys were being taught in their church, in their synagogues, and, and, and immediately the Pharisees go into defense mode and attack mode. They want to defend themselves. Now, now here's, the, here's the interesting thing, and we can look back on this story and see it better than they can, but they have God in their midst saying, this is truth, 
And their initial response is, no way. We are right and you are wrong. And if you say that you're God and this is what you're teaching and what you're doing, then you're not God. And they immediately go into defense mode and they are fighting against God himself. And so look what they say and and listen to this collision as we kind of walk through this. So I just want to start in verse 9, kind of work through the chapter and then come back and make some application uh, in our lives. So he's he's come back home now seeing, and, and notice this now, some interesting twists in the story. It says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? There's some stuff here, and I guess you've got to read between the lines a little bit. Maybe, maybe that's good, maybe that's not. But, but think about this. Here's his neighbors, the guys who should have known him the best, who can't even make a positive identification. It says that, that, that they're, they're asking, isn't this the man that used to sit and beg? And by the way, they, they never give us his name. They don't say, hey, isn't this John? Isn't this John? Isn't that Shannon? Isn't this Delbert? They just go, isn't that the dude that we passed every day that was like sitting on the corner begging? They, they, they're supposed to know him. He's their neighbor. And, and, and they don't even know his name. Or at least it's not recorded for us. They had seen him, but they didn't know him. I think we'll see in the story, too, that they labeled him. He's the beggar. And, and once a beggar, always a beggar. He was a blind man. And once a blind man, always a blind man. You ever done that to people? You, you got somebody in your community and, and you see him and you go, oh, he's, he's always been a drunk. He'll always be a drunk. He's always been a troublemaker. He'll always be a troublemaker. He's always been a fighter. He's, he'll be, always be a fighter. And we label them by their past. And that's kind of what's taking place here in this story is they, they see this guy now and he's walking around and he sees. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wasn't a dude sitting on the corner begging? So... Maybe he wasn't blind. Maybe that was a scam. Maybe he really wasn't blind. Maybe he's just like one of these guys that stands on the street corner with a sign. Do I believe it or do I not? What's, what's the story here? What's the, what's the real story? But they're, they're kind of astonished. They're kind of amazed. They don't know his name, but they're, they're amazed that here's this guy that used to sit and beg, and now he sees. And, and some said, yeah, that's him. It's, it's he. Others says, No. It just looks like him. Some are impressed. Yeah, that was a blind man, and now he sees. And and, and some say it's impossible. Or maybe worse, he's an imposter. They don't know what to do with this man. But the man kept saying, so not just once, but again and again, he keeps saying, I am the man. That was me. The, The dude that you passed every day? That was me. The guy that when you, when you came upon me, you kind of looked the other way and acted like you didn't see me begging for food. That, that, that was me. But I'm different now. I'm not the man I used to be. I'm, I've been made whole. And so they say to him in verse 10, okay, if, if that's true, then tell us how your eyes were open. Convince us, prove it to us that you were the guy. How did this happen? So he answers them. He says, the man called Jesus, he made mud, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. Listen, this is what's cool. Jesus gave him some instructions. He was obedient. And then he says, he received his 
sight. He didn't earn it, but he received it. It was a grace gift that God gave to him. But it did require a response on his part, right? He had to obey, and he had to follow through. And so God puts mud on his eyes. He sends him off to wash. He says, I went, I washed, and I received my sight. And so then they say to him, well, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Now, there's, there's two different ways that we could read this first part of the story. Either that these guys are so amazed that a blind man now sees that they want to know more about Jesus. Man, tell us how he did it. We want to, where is he? Who is he? We, we want to meet this guy because we want to see change in our lives as well. And that could be one possible interpretation of, of, of what we're reading. It's hard to know how to interpret their response. Are they curious? Are they interested? Do they want to know more about Jesus? Or are they trying to back him in a corner and accuse him? We, we don't know. But in their curiosity or in their questioning, they're going, okay, this, this is crazy. We've never heard of a man that was born blind who's been given his sight. This is brand new to us. This has never before happened. And so they go to their religious leaders, and they want them to explain how a man who was born blind could be given sight. How in the world can this happen? So if they're curious, then, then, then their curiosity carries them to their religious leaders and say, hey, explain the miracle. If they're accusatory, then they've run out of questions, and they're going to the Pharisees who are, are greater interrogators than they are to get the, the Pharisees to put on the pressure and to figure out what exactly happened. But either way, and we don't know the motives of these first, these first few, these neighbors. We don't know their motives. But they ask them the questions, and the man says, hey, Jesus did this. Well, then where is Jesus? I, I don't know. So here's something interesting. Jesus meets this man while he's blind. He puts mud on his eyes and sends him away. And before the man can come back, Jesus is gone. So now they take the man to the Pharisees. In verse 13, it says, They brought uh, to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Again, no name, just the blind man. Now, it was the Sabbath day. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. If strike one against the Pharisees was saying what they're teaching you is not correct, strike two is we did something nice on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were great keepers of the law. They saw that as their as their their domain. We are going to interpret the law of Moses, and we are going to apply it, and we are going to we are going to make a rule for every single thing that you could possibly think of doing on the Sabbath. Now Moses was given the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments said to, 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 to observe the, the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. And so the Pharisees said, well, what does that mean? And they came up, guys, with a list of things that it meant to keep the Sabbath. Things you could do and things you could not do. Now, there was a loophole for everything because they still wanted to do what they wanted to do. And so they made rules that said you can only walk so many steps on the Sabbath. But then they said, what if we need to go farther? Oh, here's what we'll do. If you leave your garment at your friend's house, then the steps to your friend's house don't count because you need your garment to stay warm. But then we'll start counting your steps when you leave your neighbor's house to go somewhere else. So these guys would leave stuff all over town so they could go where they wanted to go and do what they wanted to do and not violate the Sabbath. It was crazy. The loopholes they would come up with. One of their rules was you can't spit on the Sabbath because when your spit hits the dirt... 
it makes mud. And that's like kneading bread. It's, it's two things mixing together like you would knead a, a loaf of bread. So you can't spit on the ground on the Sabbath because that would make mud and that's considered work. And the Bible says you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. This is how complicated their system was that they had come up with. And so here is Jesus spitting on the ground. And not only does he spit on the ground and make mud, but then he picks it up and puts it on the guy's eyes. And that's work. Now, one of the directions we could have gone with today's message was to go, okay, what is the Sabbath rules and what do they stand for? And Jesus had this conversation over and over and over again with the Pharisees because Jesus continued to do things on the Sabbath, and they continued to get mad at him and want to execute him and kill him for doing work on the Sabbath. But Jesus' summary of the Sabbath rules are he came back and asked the Pharisees this. He said, I need to ask you a question. Is it better to do good on the Sabbath or do evil? Is it better to, 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 to heal or, or to kill? You tell me which is the best. And then Jesus' summary of that says, I tell you, this is, this is the gospel. This is the truth. It is good to do good on the Sabbath. Pharisees didn't like that. So here they are. Jesus has done this on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees go straight to the heart. We're, we're not looking for information, the Pharisees say. We're looking to interrogate. We're looking to find an excuse to, to crucify this guy and to show you that he is not who he claims to be. So tell us what he did. And they already knew it was done on the Sabbath, so they want to bring that out. It was on the Sabbath when Jesus made the mud and opened the eyes. So the Pharisees again ask him, how did he receive his sight? Again, they're looking for a violation, not for validation. And he said to them, well, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. And the Pharisees say, aha, we've got him. It was, a, it was Sunday, Sabbath, Sabbath when he did this? Yeah, it was the Sabbath. And, and, and what did he do again? He put mud on my eyes. Oh, well, where did he get the mud? Well, he spit on the ground. Ooh, there we go. They're looking for, for violations, not for validation. And some of the Pharisees said, all right, here it is. Let me just, let me just lay it out for you. He is not from God. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. If, if Jesus was who he says, if he is the Son of God, the Son of Man... Sinless, perfect. Well, he just blew it right here because he spit on the ground and he healed a man on the Sabbath. There's the violation. There for them is the proof that Jesus is not the Son of God. But others said, this doesn't make sense. How can a man who is a sinner do such things? How, how, how does a sinner heal a man who was born blind? We, we don't follow your reasoning here, Pharisees. We don't follow your logic. You're saying that he violated the Sabbath and therefore he's a sinner. But if he's a sinner, how could he heal? How could he do this? You can't heal and I can't heal. Only God can do something like that. But you're saying he's not God. How does that work? Your answer doesn't make sense to us, they say. And it says, so there was a division among them. So even in the group either of the Pharisees or those that are loosely associated with the Pharisees, there becomes this division because their, their rationale and, and, and all that is not making sense. They said, now you, you're the one that made the rule, Pharisees, that we can't spit on the ground. So either your rule is wrong and he is from God, 
or your rule is right and he's not from God, but then how do you explain that he healed? We, they're, they're, these guys are thinking, whereas the Pharisees are defending. And listen, guys, God has made us to be thinkers. God wants us to take the truth of God's word and to process it and try to make sense of it and to try to put pieces together. In fact, he's given us his Holy Spirit to help us to do that. So this is not saying just don't think, don't, don't rationalize, don't. No, Scripture calls us to be thinking people. It calls us to do this. And, and here's what, what happens when, when we move into this realm of the spiritual is that we say, Lord, I need your help to understand some things because some of these pieces aren't fitting together for me. I need your help. And I realize there may be some things in the Christian faith that may never make sense this side of heaven. But, but what is possible, Lord, help me to understand. And, and, and so what happens is, as, as a Christian that's a thinking person, we go to the Scripture and we understand what we can, and we build our faith on that. And we should cling to that truth as best we understand it until further revelation comes that gives us more information that we can then say, you know what, I had a partial understanding, but now I have a fuller understanding. That's called growth. If we had it all on day one, then there would be no reason for us to grow spiritually. But, but growth means I, I, I'm going I'm to cling to what I know as best I understand, but you know what, I'm also going to trust that if God wants to give me more information, that he's going to give that to me, and I'm going to update my understanding. And that's growth. The Pharisees had the opportunity here to grow. They had looked at the law of Moses and said, okay, this is what it means to keep the Sabbath and and to keep it holy. And this is what it means. And this is our understanding. And we're going to cling to that. And then Jesus shows up and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You got it wrong. That's not the correct understanding. That's not what God meant when he said, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Oh, well, what does it mean? And they could have opened their minds and opened their hearts and allowed the truth that Jesus was bringing to to bring them growth and go, okay, well, we had it wrong or partially right, but now we're going to grow and we're going to have a fuller understanding. They could have done that. But what kept them from doing that was this stubborn pride that says we are right and we will go to our grave trying to prove that we are right. And that's what they were doing with Jesus. Jesus has, has said, hey, look, your understanding of either he sinned or his parents sinned, that was wrong. Okay, Your understanding of what the Sabbath is about, well, that, that's wrong. And, and it's an opportunity here for them to grow, but their pride would not allow them to grow. And they're not the only ones that struggle with pride, are they? We struggle with pride. Part of what we'll see in this story is that, that part of what's going to happen in this story is that God's going to use a, a, a blind beggar who has now been given his sight, who's about to be given spiritual sight, to try to instruct these Pharisees who thought they knew it all. And their response is, get out of here. You're a sinful man. Just leave our prayer. We're like, you think you can teach us something? We know more than you will ever know. Leave our presence. So here they are, and, and, and they're asking this question, what, what is it? And, 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 and their answer doesn't make sense, even to those in their group. How, how can a man who's a sinner do these things? And so there was a division among them. Again, a sign that some of them may not have been as prideful as others. Some of them may have been eager to learn and to see how to grow. So here they go. So we got one side saying he's not from God. The other, man, the other side saying, whoa, we're not so sure. And so they turn back to the man 
verse 17, and they say to him, well, what do you say about him? Since you're the one who had your eyes opened, what do you say? And the man says, I think he's a prophet. Now, the interesting thing here, this is, this is the dynamic that I want you to catch, is this blind man who had no idea who Jesus was or where Jesus was or anything about Jesus, we're going to see what's going to happen here is that his eyes, his spiritual eyes, are beginning to open. Even as he's being interrogated, he's processing and thinking and pieces of the puzzle the Holy Spirit's giving him that are coming together. So here's what's happening. It's two different things happening. But for this man, his eyes are opening, and he's starting to see the big picture. For the Pharisees over here, you see their eyes are beginning to close. What little bit of sight they had is beginning just to dim and to darken. And so there's this interaction between these two things. The Lord opening one eyes and the other guys are closing their own eyes. A heart opening up to the the reality of Christ and other hearts just shutting down to the the truth about Jesus. And so here's this guy going, first of all, I I don't know who he is. I don't know anything about him. Oh, well, now he's watching these guys and seeing them become defensive and become argumentative and, and trying to prove that they're right and that Jesus can't be. And, and he's listening to both sides of this argument going, you know what, I, I, think, I think he's a prophet. There's growth that's taking place inside this blind man. It's the progression of his beliefs and the opposition that most of us would, would rather not have in our life is actually proving to be something that's sharpening his thinking and helping him to process those questions that most of us have. Some of the greatest apologists in Scripture, those that can defend the Scripture better than others, some of the the greatest are those who face the, the greatest persecution, the greatest opposition. Because it's driven them back to go, okay, well, let's, let's, let's make sense of this. We've got two guys arguing. One saying he's a sinner, the other guy saying a sinner can't do this. Well, which is it? And in the middle of all this persecution, in the middle of all these arguments, this guy's processing. And, and he's not doing it on his own. The Holy Spirit's helping him to do that. But we see this growth beginning to take place inside of him. And so verse 18 says that the Jews, which is basically the Pharisees, the leaders, that's the way John referred to the, the Pharisees in that day, was just the Jews. And he kind of lumped them all in one big group, but he's talking about the Jewish leaders. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. Okay, so you can't argue. You know, There's a distraction that's going on here, okay? They have said, ah, he's a sinner. He, he did it on the Sabbath. And somebody on this group is going, wait a minute, maybe not. And they go, okay, let's change the subject. Okay, this guy was just never blind. Okay, we'll just fix that. He was never blind. So that, that means that if he's blind, then the, the miracle never happens, so Jesus can still be a sinner. Because the question was, if he's a sinner, then how did he heal? Oh, good question. Well, he didn't heal. This guy was never blind. And, and the sad thing is there's no neighbors to stand up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, John's my friend, and John's been blind his whole life. Hang on. There's nobody to do that. So the only people they can turn to are the parents. And so they call in the parents. Now, these guys are doing a thorough investigation, a thorough interrogation. And so none of them believe that he was blind or that he even received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? Notice the the humor there. Is this your boy that you, you claim was, was born blind? 
how then does he now see? And look at his parents' response. They throw him under the bus. How does he see? His parents say, well, we know this is our son. We know that he was born blind. But, but as to how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age, and he will speak for himself. Why in the world would parents do that to their son? So, man, why don't they say, yeah, he was born blind, and yeah, he sees, and, and, and he's told us that this guy named Jesus put mud on his eyes and told him to go wash, and he came back home that night, and next thing we know, he's showing up for supper saying, Mom, you burned the toast. I can see now. I, I can see. Why, why would his parents throw him under the bus? Well, John tells us, Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Again, the Pharisees. For the Jews, the Pharisees, had actually agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Now, again, we need to kind of step back into the culture of that day. But if the mindset of the Pharisees and the mindsets of the general population was that if somebody's born blind, either his parents are sinners or he's a sinner, those people wouldn't be welcomed warmly into the synagogue. So the parents have probably spent this child's whole lifetime trying to work themselves back into the good standings of the synagogue. And about the time they get comfortable and they get a, you know, a seat on the third row, their son ends up getting healed. Oh, my gosh. And now they're getting interrogated. And the rule is, if you say Jesus is real, and you say Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, then you're booted out. And they go, we've worked our whole life to get where we are. And now this boy who's caused us grief is causing us grief again. And so instead of standing up with their son and saying, you know what, we're going to stand with truth. And we're going to stand with, 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 with what's happened here. They just back away and say, hands off. I, I ask him. Don't, don't bother me. Is that my son? Yes. Was he blind? Yes. But other than that, we're, we're going to plead the fifth here. We're just going to say, you know what, we don't, we don't know. They throw him under the bus. So for a second time, they call in the man who had been blind. In verse 24, they say something interesting here. They say to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They're leading the witness. Okay? And here's what we want you to do. We want you to give glory to God. Now, you can read that two different ways. Give glory to God by denouncing this sinner. Or you can read it this way, and this is what some commentators say, that they're asking him to say, God healed me, without saying, Jesus healed me. And they're trying to divide a wedge between God, who can heal, and the sinner Jesus, who shouldn't be able to heal. We'll, we'll claim that God can do this. We don't know why he would do it to somebody like you. But, but God's got that power. God could do that. So just give God the glory. Say, say God did it, but don't say Jesus did it. Because we know this man's a sinner. 
Again, they've got their conclusion already drawn. Now they're trying to stack the facts to prove their foregone conclusion. But the man's beginning to see. God's opening his eyes. Remember, his eyes are opening even as the hearts of the Pharisees are closing. And, and this man begins to see what he's going, ah, I see what's going on here. I understand. And so he says, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. I don't know the man's history. I don't know that he's the perfect son of God, Messiah, but, but, but I don't know that he's a sinner either. I, I don't know much about this man yet. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So I don't know his history, and I don't know all that there is to know about this man yet, but I'll tell you this. I was blind, and now I see. Do you know, for some of us as new Christians, that was the only testimony we had. I can't tell you all the theological ramifications of the Trinity and all these other things and when the second coming is. I, I can't tell you all that, but I'll tell you this. Yesterday, I didn't know Jesus. Today, I do. Yesterday, I was an old man, and today, I'm a new man. And sometimes that's the only testimony that we have. We're, we're brand new in the faith, and we're still trying to process, and we're still trying to come up with a lot of these, these, these things, and what does it all mean, and how did it happen, and, 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 and how does this righteousness imputed to me, and how? I don't know all that, but I do know this. What I was yesterday, I'm not anymore. And that's this man's testimony. I can't explain it, he said, but I do know this, that though I was blind, now I see And wanting to probe deeper, the Pharisees said to him again, So what did he do to you? And how did he open your eyes? You're not willing to say he's a sinner. Tell us again what he did and we'll prove to you he's a sinner. Tell us that he did it on the Sabbath and we'll prove to you that he's a sinner. How did he do it? He spit. Oh, can't do that. On the Sabbath, can't do that. Say it again. We want you to hear your own words. Prove that he's not the the man that you claim that he is. But the guy doesn't take the bait here. In verse 27, he answers them. And he says, I've told you already. And you wouldn't listen. It's kind of funny. I was blind and I couldn't see, but I ain't deaf. You guys have a problem with your hearing? It's a guy that can fix that. (laughs) Let Let me tell you about him. What's wrong with your hearing? Check your battery. Here we go. Why do you want to hear it again? Tell me your motives. Why, why do you want to hear what he did? Are you interested in him? Maybe a better question he could ask is this. Are you even interested in me? Not one of you has said, congratulations, dude, you can see. Not one of you has said, let's throw a party. Let's go outside and watch the sun come up. Let's, let's watch the sunset. Let's notice the clouds that you've... Not one person cares about this man. All they care about is catching Jesus. And he says, tell me your motive. Why do you want to hear this again? And then he kind of sticks a knife in. He says, do you also want to become his disciple? Is that why you're so curious about this man that you want to know more about him so you can follow him too? And man, that lit a fuse in these disciples. Do you want to become his disciple? You see, you're not looking for evidence to believe. You're looking for an excuse to condemn. Do you want to be a disciple too? 
Well, here, here's what he's saying. Do you also want to become his disciple? Guess what that means? I've just become his disciple. I've just become a follower of this man. Would you like to do that too? Isn't that a great thing for a new believer to ask his friends when they say, tell me what happened. I'll be happy to tell you what happened. You know why? Because I want you to have this too. But the Pharisees hear it in a different heart. And they begin to revile him, to verbally abuse him. And they said, you are his disciple. But we are the disciples of Moses. You say he's your leader. We'll tell you who our leader is. Our leader is Moses. And we know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't even know where he comes from. They're not talking about Nazareth or Bethlehem. They're saying, we, we know who sent Moses. God sent Moses. We don't have a clue who sent this jerk. We don't have a clue who, who sent this guy that, that's, that's going around performing these, these, these miracle things. We don't know where he came from. In other words, we don't know who sent him. But somebody's about to tell him. Again, notice the growth of this blind man as the story progresses. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he is. Oh, I think he's a prophet. I know what, he's did, what he did for me. And, and then they say, we don't even know where this man comes from. And the man answered, this is an amazing thing. You guys who know it all, you don't even know who sent him? And yet he opened my eyes. Here's what he's saying. This man who is powerful enough to do a miracle that's never been done before. And you can't even tell me that he's from God. I'll tell you where he came from. He came from God. Look what he says. He says, it's amazing. You don't know where he comes from. And and yet he opened my eyes. And, And here's what we know. And there's a lot of these statements, by the way, all the way through this story. We know, we know, we know. Parents are like, we know he's our son. We know he was blind. We know, we know. The Pharisees, we know he's a sinner. And, and here the guy comes back and says, okay, you want to talk about what we know? Let me tell you what we know. We know because you've taught us. Uh-oh, here we go. God doesn't listen to sinners. In other words, God doesn't answer the prayers of sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and is doing God's will, God listens to him. Isn't that what you've taught us, Pharisees? Well, Yeah. Okay, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind man. No mere man could do that, these guys are saying. This is a big deal. It's never happened before. If this man man were not sent from God, were not sent by God, he could do nothing. This this dude, this, this blind guy, has just come full circle. He's saying, okay, you've got a problem here because your logic's not lining up, your reasoning's not lining up, all that you're trying to, to argue is not lining up. So let's just back up. Okay, you've taught us my whole life, we, we've heard, that, that God doesn't listen to sinners. He only listens to those who obey. So let's use your logic. God doesn't listen to sinners, but God listens to those who obey and those who are good. And he answers their prayer. Okay. Well... If this guy wasn't from God and he wasn't who he's claiming to be, then how could he do what he just did? Even using your own logic, how could he do that? 
And when these Pharisees are backed into a corner, their pride will not allow them to admit that their logic doesn't work, that their rationale doesn't make sense. And so they do what most of us do, and they attack the man. They answered the man, verse 20, 34, you were born in utter sin. Well, Jesus has already debunked that, right? But they're going back to that's their argument because they don't believe anything Jesus says. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? We are sinless. You are sinful. How dare you lecture us? How dare you repeat back to us what we've said in our sermons? That's always humbling, by the way, when your kids do that. Uh, But, Dad, you said... Here they are. They can't, they can't admit that they're wrong. They can't admit that there's something they don't understand. They can't admit that their theology is, is, is somehow whacked out because Jesus showed up on the scenes and wants to take them to a whole new level of understanding of who God is. They can't understand any of that. And so what do they do? They go into attack mode. They go into attack mode. And guys, this is so common in our world today. When we get backed into a corner, we just attack. It's that flight, that fight or flight, right? You, you, you just, you, you, you just, I've got to, how dare you lecture me? And they cast him out. So now, parents are gone, friends are gone, Pharisees are gone. It's just him. And Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, Jesus said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Well, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? I want to know. I want to believe. Can you help me to understand? Here's a man that's so humble, he's saying, You know what? There's still a lot that I'm putting together. This is all brand new to me. Can you disciple me? Can you help me? Can you introduce me? Can you, can you put these pieces of the puzzle together for me? And Jesus said to him, you've seen him. Now, this man had not seen Jesus up to this point. He had interacted with Jesus, got mud put on his eyes, but by the time he came back from washing, Jesus was gone. Jesus is not talking about having seen him physically. He's saying you've seen him spiritually. And it's he that is speaking to you. It's him that's calling you into this relationship. And the man's response in verse 38 is, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Guys, up to this point in the story, this man has received physical sight, but has not yet been born again. Jesus has healed his his physical problem, but now Jesus is moving to heal the spiritual problem. He's healed physical blindness. Now Jesus is about to lift the veil and, 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 and heal that spiritual blindness. But I want you to notice something because this is this is so important for all of us. Between the moment that God lets us see and we actually respond, there's a massive battle that goes on. 
When we gather together for church on Sunday or you sit in the men's Sunday school class or you go to a gospel community and God's Spirit begins to speak to you and there's something that you need to do in response to what God's saying to you, there is a massive battle between the moment you hear and the moment you decide. And the longer we let that stretch out, the bigger that battle rages. And so here's this man who has, who has been, he, he's been healed physically but yet doesn't understand all the spiritual. And, and, and Jesus is not going to leave him there. He's going to move him to this place that he makes a spiritual decision and he's born again. But in between that, man, he's being grilled by his neighbors. He's being grilled by the Pharisees. He's being abandoned by his parents. There is a massive battle going on between the moment that, that he begins to gain his sight and understand a little bit and the moment that he makes that commitment and follows through. That's why it's so important when God's Spirit speaks to us that we respond immediately. And it's also important to see in this story that Jesus doesn't leave him for long. He, he, he leaves him long enough that, that the man understands that, that I've got, this is a big deal and I need to know more. Lord, show me, teach me, help me so I can believe. And Jesus says, you're talking to him. And he says, Lord, then I believe. You've done something for me that no other person could ever do. You've done something for me, Lord, that, that nobody else even knows my name. Nobody knows my story. Not one neighbor could stand up and say, I vouch for him. That's the guy. He lives next door to me. I, I wonder in our lives, guys, how many people we pass by every day. And we don't know their name. We don't know their story. If we were called to, to, to sit up on a, a witness stand and identify them, we would say, oh, that's the, the housekeeper lady that, that does that. That's the, that's the guy at the plant that I, I see out there picking up Coke cans. That's, that's the guy on the side of the road I pass every day that, that just looks kind of scary. How many people are in our world that we just zoom by and we never, ever get to know them? But Jesus takes time for them. And Jesus meets them where they are. Here's this guy. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. And then Jesus turns and says this. Kind of an interesting statement. For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Again, Jesus is not talking about physical sight here. He's using the physical sight as an instrument to, to have this conversation. But now he's talking about spiritual sight. I've come that those who can't see spiritually can see. And those who claim that they see and know all things spiritually will become blind. There's the opening of the eyes and the closing of the eyes. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things. And they said to him, are, are you saying that we're also blind? And Jesus says to them, if you were blind, if you would just admit <laughs> that you were blind, we could do something about that. You wouldn't have any guilt. I could fix it. But now that you say we can see, your guilt remains. Jesus is pronouncing to the Pharisees, guys, listen, as long as your pride keeps you from admitting that you can't see clearly, you will die in your sin. And you will die in this spiritual blindness. So Jesus here is not just trying to pick a fight. But you've got religious leaders who are leading the people astray, who are teaching them theology that, that is not fully baked, that is not 
full and, and correct. And for Jesus just to look the other way and to, to, to continue to go down the road is to allow these people that Jesus came for, that he came to die for, to continue to be misled. But by exposing their false ideas, he, he realizes that he's taking a risk. The Proverbs remind us again, when you correct a fool, you're going to invite insult. And Jesus knew that. I thought about several verses in Proverbs. Proverbs 18.2, that says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinions. Isn't that what the Pharisees are doing here? Don't, don't give me the facts. Let me just tell you what I know. Let me just give you my opinion. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for himself. Why? Because he can't be taught as long as he's wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 10.8 says, The heart of the wise will receive commandments, but the babbling fool will come to ruin. Jesus understood this. Jesus could see things that they could not see. And he's trying to warn them of the danger of them letting their pride so blind them to their, their spiritual blindness that they die in their sin. You know, it's just sometimes things that you, that you just can't see and you need somebody else to help you see that. And God comes to do that. I read a story this week and, and, and I'd heard this before, but I went back and researched it to see if it was true and, and, and it, it turns out to be true. That in 2000... This fledgling little company called Netflix was just being birthed. And it had been around for a couple years, and Netflix was still in the mail order. You want a movie? Call us, we'll mail it to you, and you'll have it for a few days, you mail it back. But streaming was on the horizon, and, and Netflix was, was kind of bleeding out. They were, they, were, they were losing some money, and they went to Blockbuster. Okay, And if you're under 30, you probably don't know what Blockbuster is, okay? But Blockbuster used to be the business that, that had, it was a brick and mortar business that had the corner on the market for every kind of video you'd ever dreamed of. And you would drive to the store, you would rent the video if it was on the shelf, and then you could take it home for a few days and you could watch it and bring it back. And, and, and Blockbuster was a, was a thriving company that had the corner on the market. And Netflix was struggling, but saw great potential in the future. And Netflix actually approached Blockbuster and said, listen, we will sell you our business for $50 million. And Blockbuster laughed and said, we are it. We have the corner on the, you're losing money and we are making money. And, and you say that you know the future, but you don't have a clue. We know the future. No, thank you. And they passed up the, the deal. Any idea what Netflix is worth today? $291 billion. Do you know what the stock of Blockbusters is worth today? I looked it up. 0. 0.00023. <laughs> Not even a penny. That was somebody who could see and somebody who was blinded by their pride and their success. And that's where the Pharisees were. They had been successful. They had made it to the top of the religious ladder. And they were looking down on the world, and, and, and they're saying to this blind man, you were, you were born in sin. How dare you lecture me? And all the blind man's trying to do is to say, you know what? I used to be blind, and now I can see. I was spiritually blind, and, and now I'm starting to see some things. And what I'm seeing, it's not what you're seeing. 
How dare you lecture us? And we do that same thing sometimes. And Jesus says, listen, don't let your pride blind you to your own blindness. The Pharisees, in their response, reveal the darkness of their soul, the blindness of their spiritual eyes, the hardness of their hearts, the hypocrisy of their faith, the error of their rules that they had made, the emptiness of their worship, and their pridefulness blinded them from the one person who could have healed that blindness, opened their eyes, accepted them and loved them in their sin, and reconnected them with God. Spiritual pride blinds us to the truth, and it blinds us to our own blindness. So as I thought about this message, and and as I close today, I thought, Lord, I don't even know how you approach a message like this when you talk about spiritual pride, because those who have spiritual pride are going to go, well, he's talking about that other guy. I sure wish he would have been here today. Or they look at the messenger and go, well, who is he to talk about this? He's got his own issues. How do you talk to a prideful person about pride? I don't know. But all I know is that if God doesn't reveal it to us, we're never going to see it. In fact, when we look at these, these final couple of verses here, there's four things that, that we learn about spiritual pride and about dealing with spiritual pride. And we see it in, in Jesus' response to this man as he's kicked out of the synagogue. Jesus saw him, and he sought him. If we're going to be changed from being prideful people, that's going to be initiated by God. God's going to come to us. Because in our pride, we don't think we need to go to God. So God's going to meet us right here where we are. It's always initiated by God. He says in verse 35, Jesus found the man. But the second thing I see in this is that that it requires a desire on our part. It's not forced. But Jesus comes to him and says, do you believe? And the guy goes, man, I want to believe, but I'm not sure how. I don't know enough yet. I, I want to know more. Tell me so that I may believe. And Jesus says, well, you've, you've seen and you've heard. And then the third thing about spiritual sight is this, that it requires a faith response. I'm not there, but I want to be. I haven't believed, but I do right now. I put my faith and my trust right there, right now. Lord, I believe. And spiritual sight also results in worship immediately when this guy says i believe he falls in worship at the feet of jesus to thank him not just for his physical sight but now for this spiritual sight that has taken place in the last few verses jesus gives us the other option we see it in the pharisees this this life of pride and, and and it's this life of denial verse 40 are you saying that we're blind are you saying that we can't see it's that denial it's also darkness jesus says well those who see will become blind those who claim they've got it all figured out that they got god packaged in their nice and neat little box they're they're blind there's darkness so there's denial and there's darkness And then Jesus finally warns that there's danger. 
If you won't admit that you're blind, then you will die in your blindness. You will die not seeing and not understanding. This morning as we close, our personal response to a lesson on pride reveals a lot about the condition of our heart. If you can listen to a message on pride and go, hmm, that's for somebody else. That's a pretty good indicator that there's some pride that's there. If you can listen to a message on pride and go, Lord, would you search me? Would you make sure that we're, we're where we need to be? Is there something that's been said here today that, that I need to hear so that my, my understanding and my growth can occur and I can become more of who you want me to be? You see, our response, even to a message on pride, reveals a lot about the condition of our heart as we listen to that. As we listen to a message on pride, it can be a sober reminder that apart from the grace of God, pride can creep in and can stunt our spiritual growth. It's a lot easier to find fault with others than it is to look in the mirror and see our own shortcomings. It's a lot easier to look at somebody else and say, how dare you lecture me? Than it is to say, you know what, you're right. There's some things that, that just haven't lined up. I thought I had it figured out, but some new information has arrived. And I need to do an update. I need, I need to grow, and I need to change. The Pharisees didn't set out to become prideful and unusable to God. But pride comes in little by little by little. And before we know it, it, it has a foothold in our lives. And it chokes out the life that Jesus wants to give. It chokes out the sight that Jesus wants to provide for us to see spiritual things and to grow more and more in the likeness of Jesus. And the only way to to, to change that is to recognize that God is here right now and God is trying to open our eyes to truth so that we can admit that we need him and we can call upon him and say, Lord, I hear you and I believe you. And I want to worship you. And at that moment, growth occurs. So I'll just encourage you this morning as we wrap this up to, to look at what, what's been going on in your heart even during this message. Nobody else in this room will know that. But you know it and, and God knows it. What, what happens when somebody lesser than you points out a flaw in you? Can you receive that? Or do you become defensive and go into attack mode and say, well, that, that guy, I heard him cuss at his wife last week. How dare him talk to me about this? Jesus wants to break down the walls of pride so that we can grow and become more like him. And if we will let him, he will do that. And I believe that even here this morning, for those of you that are present, for those that are watching the stream, God can speak to us and say, you know what? There's still work to be done. You have not arrived. Let's, let's take a look. And let's do what needs to be done. Would you pray with me as we close?